Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody, including Michael Jordan, wants to be. Maybe not. You know it. You love it. It is Victory Lane. Today is episode 74. We got a lot to cover today. We're talking to Steve Luvender, as you see from the episode title. We have Bristol to recap, the round of 16 finale. Las Vegas to preview the round of 12 opener, but big, big news. Michael freaking Jordan is in NASCAR as a team owner. Bubba Wallace is his driver. Denny Hamlin helped broker that deal together. We'll get to all that, but first let's start out how we always do with this episode of Victory Lane, paying homage to somebody in the NASCAR world. Today, it's Super Shoe, Randy LaJoy, and somebody else. Take it away, Father. Thank you, Dove, and Happy New Year to you and some others listening. You know who you are. Today's Way Back When segment focuses on number 74. 469 starts for the number 74 in the Cup Series, but a pretty undistinguished history. L.D. Austin piloted the 74 in 161 races in the late 50s and the early 60s, but no wins or pulls for him during that time or for the number, ever. So, we dig a little deeper to give 64 the credit that it's due. Randy LaJoy, yes, he's Corey LaJoy's father, enjoyed success in the 74 car in the Bush Grand National Series during the mid-90s. He won the Bush Series championship in 1996 and 1997, driving 74, and he won five times each of those years. But more importantly, I believe Davey expressed some hope during last week's podcast that there might be another Cars movie reference for this week. Well, as proof that I do listen to the rest of his podcast and that a father will do almost anything for his son, we also pay homage this week to Slider Petrolsky, who drove the sidewall shine number 74 in the Motor Speedway of the South race at the beginning of the film. He was one of the many cars caught up in the big wreck caused by Chick Hicks. Kachiga, Kachiga, and finished in second to last place. According to the Piston Cup Wiki, Petrolsky raced in the Piston Cup series from 1992 through 2009, reportedly winning five times. He's also reported to have won the Piston Juniors Championship in 1992, though I wasn't able to independently confirm either of those reports. That's all for today. Back to you, Duve. Thank you, Dad. Love another Cars reference. I think we may have to keep this one going. I don't know, but we we may run out. Although I think once we get to triple digits, I don't know what we're going to do. Because uh, I stole this uh, this idea from Positive Regression, and they are not triple digits either. But who knows? We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. As I said, we'll talk Bristol. We'll talk Vegas. We'll talk to Steve Luvender, the mystery man himself. And, of course, Michael Jordan in NASCAR as a team owner. 
this one deserves a biggest reggaeton as always. So let's start it out. Do it with me, people. As my girlfriend Robin upstairs probably thinks I'm crazy once again. Let's start out chronological order as we always do. Bristol Motor Speedway, round of 16. Recap the finale of the first round of the playoffs. 500 dizzying laps around Thunder Valley. The race was fine, and it winds up coming down to a fierce, fierce battle with Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick for the last 60 or so laps of the year, year, of the night. And I, I said it right after the race ended. You know, maybe it wasn't all you wanted to see for an elimination race in the playoffs at Bristol at night on a short track. But Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch battling tooth and nail to the finish. Those are two of the best to ever do it in NASCAR, not just of this generation. Not just of the last 10 years. Not just this year. I'm talking all time. Like, these are two of the top 10 drivers of all time, probably, when it's all said and done in the sport. And that was damn fun to watch at the end. Kevin Harvick wins out yet again. And he's going to take us through the finish from his perspective. Yeah, we had a, just a really, really good uh, Bush Light Ford Mustang tonight. Um, I got it a little dinged up with 50 or 60 laps to go. I knocked a hole in the nose and... Um, you know, made it a made it a little too tight through the center of the corner, but turned into a heck of a race. Um, you know, in and out of traffic there with Kyle, he got me, he got me once uh, pinned up there in traffic, and I was, and then uh, hold the lead there there till the end. So just uh, really proud of of everybody that they for everything that they've done all year, and just continuing to fight. And um, you know, there's there's not many races that you can win or like like winning here at the Bristol Night Race. So uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Did you see how hype he was after the race? He usually doesn't get that hype, especially this year because he's done it nine times. But he did it after the Southern 500 at Darlington because there were fans there, and that gave him some boost. And he did it again at Bristol. It's Bristol, baby! I don't think I've ever heard him say that. But, hey, fans give you the energy, and they did for Kevin, for sure. Yeah, you know, that that really started before the race. I hadn't been to too many races where I've been that jacked up getting in the race car. The fans were so enthusiastic tonight, and I don't know if we've just – uh, been away from them for that long and and but you could feel the enthusiasm in the stadium tonight and and you know I think as as I was getting in the car I was just I was wound up um, and just really really ready to race and then after the race just the excitement that you could hear and the cheering from the from the crowd uh, just made me excited and, and you know I haven't I haven't felt that in a while um, you know and and you know when you when you look at Bristol it's always very enthusiastic but tonight these people were so wound up i think i think we're all tired of tired of sitting at home and you know not really knowing what to do but uh, tonight they all let let it loose and and that's uh that gave me a lot of excitement as well ninth win this season for him and it's being mentioned it has been but it's now being talked about a little bit more among one of the best years ever in nascar history we're talking jeff gordon we're talking dale earnhardt this is a big deal and he's going to get to 10 wins. Make no bones about it. He's got seven more tries to get to double digits. He would be the first driver since Jimmy Johnson did it back in 2007 to reach that mark. I think Jeff Gordon in the late 90s had 13 wins, and that's still a possibility. I, I think that's a bit doubtful, but I'm not going to bet against him. But this season, I mean, it, it's not only the best of Kevin Harvick's career, it's among the best of all time. Well, I love that it's, you know, you know in the in the conversation of being the greatest season ever, because you look at the sports gurus uh, that don't know a lot about racing, they put these graphs up and talk about, you know, where your peak seasons are and where you're good, where you're bad. 
you know, where you're good is where you have, you know, the best results. And, and fortunately for, for me, they're, they're coming right now. And I've been fortunate to be surrounded by a great group of people uh, that, that, you know, have, you know, the same commitment to doing the things that, that's, um, you know, I like to do and that's race cars and, and try to do it at a very high level. So, um, you know, I'm just fortunate to be able to, um, you know, still be doing this uh, for 20 years now um, and, and be successful. And, and, you know, it's, um, you know, we got to nine, so that's, that's one step closer than we were at eight. So I don't, I don't know if we'll make it to 10, but, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep trying to, to, to do the best we can every week. And, and it's just been an unbelievable year. Now watching on the couch as a fan, those last 60 laps were wild. And I w- I had my heart beating out of my chest cause I didn't know who's going to win. And I was wondering Rodney Childers being atop the pit box, knowing that he has no control over what's going to happen. What were his feelings like? Hey Rodney, those last 50 plus laps with Kevin and Kyle were some really close, close quarters racing. Um, and I know that's nothing new to you, but being at top of the pit box and knowing that you have no impact on what's going to happen from there on out, what are the emotions that are associated with watching that? Yeah, I mean, uh, that ended up being a little closer than what we wanted. You know, our car was really good on the long runs and it looked like it was a little bit too free there for a little while. And and, um, you know, kind of got caught up with a, with a lap car in the wrong place at the wrong time or, or we, you know, took the wrong lane at the wrong time or whatever and let the 18 get by us. And at that point, it looked like our car was a lot better. And then we all got jammed up and, and knocked a big hole in the, in the right front um, headlight area. And, and after that, you know, it was just not the same car at all. And, and you know, we couldn't pull away. We couldn't do anything and it was too tight. And um you know it it turned out good for uh, everybody at home and everybody that was up in the stands because it turned into one heck of a race and you know the 18 guys had a great car all night and and uh, fought us hard there at the end and just uh just great racing um you know to, to have a a night race here and in the stands full and uh, people screaming and yelling and to have a race like that was was pretty incredible and Kevin got him back for the second time. Um, were you nervous that Kyle was going to pass him again, or did you think that you guys had him covered? No, I mean, once that big hole was in the nose, it was a, it was a battle. We, you know, we, we lost all of our turn, and, and um, we were kind of uh, – he found a little bit of something those last few laps and was able to, to get back away a little bit. Um, but, you know, it was still pretty close. Rodney's not really an emotional guy, as you could tell by that answer, and – I mean, he gives us good answers to the questions, but I think he opened up with this one, basically talking about how the pandemic has actually changed him as a working man. And not that he micromanaged stuff in the past, but he just wanted to go the extra mile with every minute detail, as he says here, whether it's getting to the shop early, staying late, working his butt off day in, day out. And he realized that this pandemic where he can't see everybody face to face or be on the grounds in the shop all the time, that he doesn't really need to do that all the time. You know, we, we've all learned a lot about ourselves this year, uh, including me. And um, we've all learned to do things differently. Um, we've learned to trust each other. We've learned to, um, to work hard no matter what the circumstances are, whether you're first shift, whether you're second shift. Um, I haven't had one team meeting since together I haven't had to tell anybody what to do I haven't had to tell somebody they need to work harder they need to pay more attention to details um, 
I have the best group that, that I've ever been around. I, I've raced my whole life. And, um, you know, the people in the shop, the people on the road crew, uh, the pit crew, you know, I haven't, I haven't had one meeting. I haven't, we haven't talked about how to get better. Um, we just all do our jobs and we expect to be the best. Um, sometimes you are, sometimes you aren't. And, and when we're not, we, we take, um, you know, we try to build better cars. We try to put better setups under them and, uh, we try to do better on pit road, but you know, through all of this, you know, like I said, we, we've just learned so much. Um, you know, I was always the guy that I thought that I had to be at the front door and unlock the door every morning or turn the lights on and, and set my alarm for four o'clock. And, and I look back on that and it was dumb. You know, I, I look back on so many things that probably I was doing wrong. Um, I was completely wore out by lunchtime every single day. I could barely hold my eyes open just all the time. All I do is think about how to make the cars go faster and, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just a whole different mentality. And, um, I never thought that a pandemic and, and the things that we've went through in the world would change, uh, our team and, and the way that we think about things. And, and it really has. Good for Rodney for, uh, for realizing that and having a, a better work-life balance. Cause Lord knows we all need it, especially Mr. Childers. Kyle Busch comes home in second place, as I mentioned, and he was in rare form post-race in his media availabilities. Uh, I was laughing through it pretty much the entire time. It was just really, really funny. Here he is, a good 45 or so seconds on A, Joey Logano, B, lapped cars and why they suck, and C, his prospects of making the next round of the playoffs. He's nobody's friend for a reason, so there you have it. Uh, actually, it never crossed my mind. Um, you always try to try to win races clean. You always try to race hard and race clean and, and get the job done right. And... Um, yeah, I mean, if that lap car wasn't there, I would have blown it in on the outside or the inside, and, and maybe we would have banged each other's doors or whatever and had a had a greater finish to the checkered. But some of them dip kids don't know what the hell they're doing or where they're at and can't stay out of the way. So um, nothing like a Gase and a Smithley. How do you feel about continuing your chase for the championship um, in Las Vegas next weekend? Uh, we'll be eliminated in the next round, so don't care. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's hard to not laugh when you're listening to him talk like that. Kyle is a national treasure, and we hope he never changes. Eric Jones, his teammate at Joe Gibbs Racing, came home third place, gave somewhat of an update on his plans for 2021. Let's see what he's got to say. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff moving along. We've we've been in a lot of talks with you know multiple different teams and trying to find an opportunity. It's a it's a tough environment. Um, there's there's definitely teams that are struggling to find sponsorship and, and find money. Um, there's rides obviously open out there, but my butt, I guess, to put in seats. So it's, uh, it's, it's challenging, but you know, like I said, there are good rides out there and, and hopefully, uh, you know, I can get an opportunity with one of them and, and build a relationship with the sponsor there that, you know, we can go out and, and be a contender. So we're moving along and hopefully, uh, you know, within the next few weeks or month, uh, I hope we can announce something. I think there only wound up being six cars on the lead lap when it was all said and done because Harvick was setting a blistering pace. I think he was up by like seven seconds on second place at one point for the last green flag run or the second to last green flag run. That's an eternity. I mean, that's probably like, what, 18, 20 seconds at a mile and a half track? He was on rails, and caution wound up coming out, and he was able to 
trap a lot of cars a lap down. So there were only six cars on the lead lap. Kyle Busch was second. Eric Jones was third. I think Eric, Eric Almarola got a top five. Also give a call. Ryan Priest, Tyler Reddick, they both scored top 10 finishes, as did Michael McDowell. I want to give a call to those non-playoff guys who performed really well on Saturday night. Unfortunately for William Byron, he's out of the playoffs because apparently, and we still haven't seen a replay of it, so we don't know how or why or when or who, but we can infer from listening to the radios and hearing interviews that it seemed to be a lapped car, uh, the 51 car, I believe that was Joey Gase possibly, who seemed to just like stop in the middle of the straightaway and William Byron just completely rammed his front end of the 24 car into him, had a lot of damage, couldn't repair it. So he unfortunately DNF'd and he is out of the next round of the playoffs. Cole Custer, he was a little bit of a long shot coming into this race, but he also will not advance. Ryan Blaney, we knew he needed to win to get in. Matt Benedetto, same position as Blaney. They did not win, so they did not get in. So it's Byron, Custer, Blaney, and Benedetto eliminated after the round of 16. Personally, I went two for four, and I'm batting 500, so that puts me in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Jokes, of course. I, I had um, Austin Dillon out after this round, which did not happen. And I think I also had Alex Bowman out after this round, which did not happen. Um, or maybe I had, no, I think I had Clint Boyer out, which did not happen as well. So who knows? I, I'm still surprised that Blaney did not run well in any of the three races this round. Um, you know, obviously Darlington had the penalty with his crew chief and the points. So that, that hurt big time. Richmond is, is his worst track historically. And when you're in a must win situation at Bristol in the playoff, that that's a tall task. Byron, I still am amazed that we still haven't seen a replay. Um, but if it wasn't for that, he probably would have been smooth sailing into the next round. I'm also a bit surprised that Austin Dillon made it so easily. As I said, back-to-back -to -back top five finishes at Richmond and Darlington reversed those two. Um, that's the best two-race stretch of his career, and I think he got a top 15 run at Bristol, which was more than enough serviceable to advance him to the next round. So, man, interesting first round storyline-wise. Kevin Harvick wins two out of the three, which should not be surprising. We move on. To the Xfinity Series that took place at Bristol Motor Speedway as well this weekend. Chase Briscoe wins his seventh race of the season, passes Austin Sindrick with six laps to go, and the 22 actually lost power steering with about like 10 or 15 laps to go. And if you're going to lose it anywhere, I don't think you want to lose it at Bristol. But the 98 gets by the 22 to win the race in Thunder Valley, heading into the playoffs for his seventh win of the season, feeling pretty good. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we started 10th and Felt like we were able to get to fourth or fifth fairly easy tonight. Felt like we had a, a good car from the get-go. Um, didn't feel like we had necessarily the best car starting off, but I knew we were going to be in the ballpark just from how we unloaded those first couple laps. Feel like you normally have a pretty good idea. and Felt like we were just a couple adjustments away. Um, the racetrack kept changing quite a bit, and we were just trying to stay ahead of that and uh, wasn't really sure which way it was going to go. And um, Felt like we guessed right most of the, most of the time, and seemed like all night our car was really good on the long run. Um, really struggled. Not really struggled, but we just struggled on the short run compared to a lot of guys. And um, about got crashed at the beginning of stage two. Uh, me and C got together and felt like our night was going to be over. And then uh, there at the end, just got lucky that that last run went green all the way. Like I said, our car was really good after about 30, 35 laps and um, kind of came to life the last 10 to 15 there. So we were able to take advantage of it and, and get up through there and uh, obviously come out with the win. Give a call to Sam Mayer. My goodness gracious, the mayor of Bristol. That he's the not only the defending KNN East champion, 
He's not only won twice at Bristol in K&N's competition, leading all 150 laps both times, but he's a multiple-time ARCA winner this season, and now he can add Truck Series winner to his resume because he had a day for the ages on Thursday. Wins the truck race, doesn't even have time to go in his media availability for the media, hops in his ARCA car, wins that race in relatively dominating fashion. If my research is correct... He became the first driver since Kyle Busch in 2009 to win multiple races on the same day. Kyle did it with an Xfinity and a truck race that day. Sam, and as Charles Crawl of ARCA said, he's the first driver ever to win an ARCA race and a National Series race on the same day. Um, obviously, he came at the same track as well. So, my oh my, Sam Mayer, what a day for you, my friend. And it was only his seventh career start that he won the truck race. I mean, that's that's wild. GMS obviously has some of the best stuff in the truck series right now. But the fact that he was still able, able to get it done so quickly in his truck series career, the same week that he announces he's going to junior motorsports on a limited basis in 2021 and then full-time in 2022, what a damn week for Sam Mayer and what a night. Uh, that feels great. I mean, uh I, I'm still at a loss for words. I mean, even after the truck race, it uh, still hasn't really set in yet. But um, I just can't thank all these guys that uh, help and support uh, this program enough. I mean, we started the ARC program at GMS, uh, restarted it anyway. Um, but uh, we came out of the gate running. And uh, it's been we've been sprinting ever since, and we haven't stopped. And uh, they haven't stopped. They haven't stopped working. We get better each week and uh, it's hard to believe that that's possible but uh we're gonna find a way to improve for next week so uh they they're just so good at their job and they're so smart and i i <laughs> i said on the radio you guys are like family you guys are awesome like uh, i'm gonna miss not working with them full time next year but uh yeah it's just everything about today and about the guys and about all the sponsors that are on our car on our truck uh, just uh it's hard to hard to fathom how much it takes to put this deal together. I mean, with Chevy and all those guys over there that help and support me, and uh, they didn't have like an ARC program over at Chevy, and now the truck program kind of helps out on the ARCA side. So it's that's a big deal for them to do that for me and for our everyone else that runs Chevy over on the ARCA side. So I mean, it's just it, it, I'm so grateful. I mean even for the man upstairs that uh, just blesses me every day. And every, every time I go on the racetrack, uh, uh, there, it was like a minefield out there with all the debris. And uh, I'm just, I'm so lucky that uh, I didn't have a tire go down or whatnot. Uh, just, uh, it's just a perfect day. Hey Sam, congrats on a historic night. I know Marty Lindley has been a bit tough on you over the radio on the past couple of years but that's also helped you reach your goals and have success over the last couple of years. So did his words to you over the radio tonight after you took the second checkered flag, did, did those words mean that much more to you given what you guys have experienced together? <laughs> it, um, it, it, it put tears in my ass. Um, <laughs> just so thankful that he um, was willing to come over to GMS with us and build that team from scratch. I mean, they quite literally had nothing over there and uh, he built it up and uh, <laughs> put it in a championship winning program. And um, we're looking really, really solid after tonight, tonight to get a second one in the East series. And uh, obviously getting uh, the showdown win as well as big for, for us. But um, 
Um, man, it just uh, it meant so much. Uh, it just hit me like a brick wall. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it just, it felt really good to hear that from him after him having that tough love on me the last year and a half, two years, and and maybe even more even more than that because he ran with us in 2018, and even then he was hard on me. But that's kind of why I came out of the out of the gate in 2019 winning uh, because he just pushed me that much more in 2018. So he's just been such a big part of my career. I mean, obviously I've had a long career and with the steering wheel in my hand since I was four, but it feels like he's taken up 75% of it. And um, he, he's a really big deal to me. And um, I'm really thankful for all he's done. And I know you've won a ton in recent years, notably on the K&N level, but and tonight was a bit logistics-wise, making history, too, being two races in the same night. But kind of going off of Jacob's question, I mean, did you ever imagine your racing career, especially where you are now being 17, I mean, did you ever imagine having a night like this, winning two races in a span of two and a half hours? Um, I just I, – I, I don't even know, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, it, it's hard to – just understand what happened. I mean, obviously it, it was perfect. It, it couldn't have been better of a night. I mean, we did what we could with what we had and uh, it was very good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just so easy to say that uh, it's easy work, but uh, we have to work our tails off in the shop and uh, on the simulator and all that every, every week. And uh, to even get that opportunity is big. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all the people that have supported me over the last two and a half years in the ARCA, ARCA level. And um, it's uh, definitely a big deal for me. Well done. Thanks for your time, Sam. As you heard, I asked him there about Marty Lindley, and he got a little bit emotional because this, this means a lot to him. Um, getting the win in the truck series, yes, but also closing out a chapter in his career with GMS Racing because it seems like he's not going to be able to to run as many truck races next year as he would hope, and he, it seems like he's not going to run anything in the Arkham Monard Series either, and they started the K&M program on behalf of Sam. Of course, his family comes with a little bit of funding, and that's why he's he's able to run these races, but his talent is immense, and he's developed a really, really good relationship with Marty Lindley, and he's, as we talked about right there, it's been tough love. Like he has not, he hasn't been the cheerleader, so to speak. He's been a really, really good coach. And Lindley was able to finally give him some words of encouragement. And I didn't hear it on the radio, but I think he said, Sam, that was a damn good job. I'm proud of you. And as Sam said, like it got him emotional because I, I, I had scanned their radios like all the past couple years. And Marty on Channel 2 had always been, not berating Sam, but basically saying, like, we got to work on this. We got to work on that. He's got to be here. He's got to be there. And I, it was cool to see that happen for Sam, to to get that validation that I know that he wanted. And it's also just cool to see some K&N guys and gals that I've grown some personal relationships with have some success under the bright lights in the National Series. And, um, you know, th there's a lot of names out there. There's Tyler Ankrum, Todd Gillen, Sam Mayer. Derek Krause, Haley Deegan, of course. But this guy, Sam, he's going to do some big things, man. So be sure to, to not be surprised when you hear his name in victory lane a lot more in the coming years. Interview time. Steve Luvender is our guest this week on the podcast. He's, he's a bit of a mystery man. 
ma'am. Meme connoisseur. That's why I said ma'am instead of man. He's a mystery man. He's a meme connoisseur. He's the class clown on NASCAR Twitter. And as I said in the description, like mostly everybody knows him, but not everybody know about him. But he's so, so funny. Talk about his love for sim racing and how that kind of sparked his interest to getting more involved in the sport. Trading paints, that's a staple of the platform on iRacing. He runs that. Random fantasy racing, you see that a lot of people in the NASCAR community tweet that out every single week. He started that, as well as his also really, really funny random generators. Um, we also talked about Reed Sorensen like randomly. That was a funny organic conversation. Um, he also has this crazy, crazy elaborate folder of NASCAR drivers like doing embarrassing things just pictures and like videos or screenshots on his computer and it sounds weird but it's kind of funny that he has that and we also just talk about a lot of different foods uh the soup hierarchy breakfast delicacies pizza whoopie pies everything so it was really fun to catch up with steve and talk to him face to face via zoom for only like the second time because i think i met him one time in new hampshire or something but i'll get out of the way and let you hear from the man the myth the legend steve luvender I was just telling him before we started recording, a lot of people know him, but they don't know a lot about him, and neither do I, and that is why I'm very pleased to have on Steve Luvender, meme connoisseur himself. Now, I guess you could also say maybe NASCAR Twitter class clown. Is that a fair assessment? I mean, I think, uh, you know, NASCAR Chasm got that, got that title locked up, but uh, I mean, you know, I could be his understudy. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually one of my questions. Who's funnier, you or NASCAR Chasm? And do you guys have like a running class clown who can be funnier with specific meme that pops up? Oh, it's not even close. Like he's just so consistently hilarious. Like, yeah. and he's he, like, not only is he just like naturally that same funny person he is on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, like, but working with him is is just like he's just the coolest guy. He's just yeah. so pleasant and like just I don't know how else to put it. I think pleasant's a good word. Yeah, and even in person too. Like he's almost he's almost as funny as in person as he is on Twitter. Oh, oh hey little doggy! My, no, my that dog, was gonna be my dog jumped in there. Sorry. Which, which uh, what what's the dog's name? That is Paisley. She is a, a new addition Aww. to the. Uh, to the to the household here paisley but sorry about that <laughs> no i love i love it that's that's what live podcasting is all about i actually um i'm gonna skip around here but i did some hardcore instagram stalking steve and i saw wow. that your pets are a big part of your life because they they take up a lot of your instagram so tell me a little bit more about your pets because i know you also have some cats yeah um i don't know if that's more saying that the pets are a big deal more than uh i'm just not so good at instagram uh, <laughs> but i i have uh three dogs and three cats um wow mostly mostly my my wife's doing she loves animals and you know she has a big heart so it's always you know gotta have one more so uh just just keep adding them adding them in there i feel like that's a very busy household that can have a lot going on in a little amount of time with three dogs three cats and you and your wife that can be crowded it is crowded, but we have fun. It's, uh, you know, never lonely. You don't pick favorites though, right? You love it, all of them equally. Um, I mean, that's what I tell them. I, I, I they're not listening. You know, I can't say it. Oh, they're listening. They hear everything. <laughs> well, like you said, Paisley just came up and said hello. So we love Paisley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love Paisley. <laughs> um, I have a bone to pick with you, Steve. This is a bit of a oh. recent thing 
that I saw, but you call it plain pizza and not cheese pizza. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I hate to open this can of worms. It, it's, I don't know if it's a regional thing or just the way I, you know, was raised, but, uh, I, I, in my mind, it makes sense that a pizza that, you know, just by its default is at minimum crust sauce and, and cheese. I can understand and that. And so that, that is why I, you know, I call it and many other people call it plain. That's just the, the, the original default pizza, but you know, there's, there's a big uh, forever raging on um, Twitter argument because that's what Twitter does. We argue. That's right. Uh, but they, they, a lot of people say that's called a cheese pizza. Um, I say that doesn't make sense, but, you know, everybody can have their own opinion. So I will admit when I saw the argument, I didn't know your reasoning behind it. Your reasoning is sound and you haven't convinced me because, like, it, although it makes sense, I'm always going to call it cheese pizza. But, you know, when you're ordering a pizza, you say I want pepperonis, green peppers, sausage whatever you don't say and cheese you just say i want pepperoni on my pizza or you want pepperoni pizza which assumes that you also want the cheese right so i guess in that way you could argue that plain is what it should be called because a pizza in and of itself has cheese on it like you said but i'm never going to call it a plain pizza just because of societal norms you can understand that yeah yeah i think that's the exact reasoning but um I guess maybe it is a societal norms thing you're saying. Cause I mean, I, I hate to open Pandora's box, but you know, you, you got quesadillas kind of in the same, mm. same thing, you know, cheese quesadilla, you know, you have to, I, you have to assume that all quesadillas have cheese, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how I spend most of my time these days is arguing about that on Twitter. So then let's open a bigger can of worms here. I had this argument with a couple of my buddies like months ago what constitutes a soup and then where does it go from like a soup to a chowder a chowder to a chili you know there's stews that are involved in this like how does <laughs> how do you how do you reconcile that are there tears i mean you seem to be the expert when it comes wow. to these things so i'm looking at you oh i definitely don't consider myself an expert at anything <laughs> especially when it comes to to food uh, i've been told many times that my food takes are are not good um but that's, you know, I've never really thought about the whole mm -hmm. the soup scene before. It's interesting, right? Really kind of out of the game. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, all these different edible slurries that have different, you know, different different terms. Because you can think about it, right? Chili's very heavy, and it's got a lot of stuff going on in there. Chowder, it's less heavy. It still has a lot going on. But then you consider like a soup that's more so liquid-based. Chowder is kind of liquid-based, but it's very creamy. Chili, it's very hearty. So I think there's like three tiers. You got your soup, chicken noodle, whatever. You got your chowder, New England clam, that variety. Then you got your chili. That's what I think we should have. We need a tier system when it comes to soups. I think that's exactly, I think that's, that needs to be your next project is, uh, you know, make a, make a poster you can sell or something like that of, uh, you know, the, the Davies organizational chart of soups. Yeah. It's like a flow chart. It's like a food pyramid going back to like elementary school. It's like, you got your soup, your chowder and your chili. Cool. Um, so I know people come to this podcast, not to hear about our food takes or the soup hierarchy. So let's get into I a little that's bit. That's why we're here. Well, I'm sorry that I misled you, but, uh, not to, <laughs> not to make a pun, but let's get into the meat and potatoes of what I want to talk about. Uh, that was bad. Sorry. Uh, so I know that your Twitter bio says that you're a NASCAR.com field filler. I think that you're selling yourself a little bit short there um, because 
I guess you could say, realistically speaking, you're a freelance content creator for them. And, is it, and I guess, is it fair to say that one of your main jobs is to just make memes all day? Um, I guess I've never really thought about that, but <laughs> I guess that's kind of what I, uh, what I, what I've been doing. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't know if, I don't know. I, I like field filler because it's kind of like, there's the people who work on the team that are like legitimately like really good at, at all sorts of different uh -huh. things. And, you know, um, I, I keep using NASCAR chasm, but he, he does an awesome job with the stuff he does. And then it's just like, Oh, and there, there's Steve. He, he does stuff too. So, um, there's just so many talented people that, you know, as you know, you know, do, do work in that group. And, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't measure up in, in really any way to that. So, um, I, I enjoy working with, with everybody, but, um, definitely don't have the same skill set. I guess. The reason that I said you're selling yourself a bit short, because when I think of field filler, I think of like the back half of the back half of the garage. Like we're talking Quinn Huff, Brennan Poole, JJ Yaley, Reed Sorensen. You're not in that group and, and no disrespect to them because they're doing their deal. But I consider you up in the upper echelons of hilarious people that I go to on NASCAR Twitter. Like it's NASCAR chasm is one a it's you as one B. I mean that I'm serious. So I don't, I don't think you should consider yourself a field filler. You can, you should consider yourself like a perennial playoff contender who hasn't gotten over that one hump yet to like, like you've almost gotten to the final four, but you got wrecked out of Martinsville by Denny. And now you're just trying to claw your way back to success. Wow. That's, that's deep, but man, Thank I'm kind of hoping Reed Sorensen doesn't uh, listen to your podcast. I don't think uh, so. He's going to have a bone to pick with you <laughs> after that. Reed, come on. We can discuss. <laughs> so you're also the founder of Trading Paints on iRacing, and I'm not an iRacing guy, but obviously when the pandemic hit, iRacing took center stage, and so did you to a certain extent, and I wasn't really clear on what Trading Paints was. I wasn't really clear on anything iRacing, but I did know that okay, well, all these paint schemes, they look exceptional. They look real. They have to get on here somehow. And I guess that somehow is you. Is that kind of fair? Yeah, that's that's a fair assessment um, with just iRacing out of the box. It's not really a box, but, you know, iRacing by itself, you can't really do too much as far as customizing your car. Like there's some pre-made like options you can you can choose. So uh, trading paints is kind of the level on top of that where you can uh, you know if you're a designer you can use photoshop templates and tools and things mm -hmm. like that to make your own car and put your own logos and create your own paint schemes all the stuff you see all over you know instagram and twitter um, and then you know trading paints lets you run those cars in in iRacing when you're mm -hmm. actually uh, driving around the track so when the pandemic hit you know there was definitely like you said a lot more interest in iRacing and of course, then trading paints too. So um, we definitely saw a lot of additional activity um, in those months, and it's it's sustained. It's been kind of cool just to see all the all the growth and all the you know um, you know all the creativity from all the different people um, you know sharing their stuff online. So it's been a lot of fun. And you've been doing that for going on what a decade, right? Uh, yeah, it's been a little over ten years. Kind of started as a as a hobby between uh, my friend Sean and me. Um, but now it's grown into out of necessity. It's turned into yeah. a, a business. So, 
Um, cool. That's been interesting, kind of a learning experience as as um I've as I've been going, but um, been a lot of fun. So take me a little bit more behind the scenes with that. Like, I assume you're not the only person that's legitimately making the templates, uploading them. Like, you get submissions, and then I guess is there kind of like a process where you have to approve it, or are you actually the one? that's, you know, making all of them by hand. Cause I feel like that would be way too tedious and a ton of work. Oh no, definitely not. There's a, uh, basically, um, a- any designer or painter has, um, the tools that they can use, like the, the templates that are officially created right. by iRacing and they can create their own designs and then put them onto trading paints, which Got is it. basically just the, I don't want to say marketplace cause you can't buy or sell, but it's basically the, the public arena for, yeah. for the cars. And then you can race them, you know, or, or just check them out and, you know, leave nice comments on them if, if you want. But uh, no, I definitely don't have those uh, sort of skills to, you know, create uh, th- those really creative paint schemes yeah. you see. I gotcha. So you've been doing this for, for over a decade now. Have you had like an iRacing simulator? Do you have a rig set up and have you done that at all? Like throughout the years or is this just a hobby? Um, Oh, I've always done sim racing. I've, I've my whole life. That's just been my, my thing. Um, so since I was six or seven years old, you know, I've been playing the, the racing games on my computer and that's just grown as a hobby over the years. So I do have a, a setup at home. Um, in my office it's not like the crazy denny hamlin it's not thirty thousand dollar starship things. yeah <laughs> uh you know i wish i could do that but uh unfortunately you know some financial constraints there yes um but no it's 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 enough to to get out there and you know got a wheel and and you know pedals nice computer all that stuff to to get out there so i pretty much uh i try to i used to be on there just all the time just racing and playing that and I kind of limit it to a couple of nights a week now um, and, and, and race in, in a league and, you know, with, with friends on there. So I definitely do that side of it, but uh, definitely not uh, the fastest guy around, I'd say. Well, you got six animals to take care of, so I don't blame you for not being on there <laughs> as much as you have. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so I, I get that your setup is somewhere in between time of Jeski with a laptop and a bowl of ice <laughs> and a fan but it's not quite near Denny's $30,000 spaceship. It's somewhere in the middle and there's a lot of room in that middle. Yeah, it's in the middle. I'm, I'm amazed by, by time of setup and it works. I just love all, all the, all the fun that everybody has with, uh, with making fun of it, but literally a fan and a bowl of ice. It's blowing on a laptop. It's, it's, (laughs) it's amazing. And he's so good at it too. He's like the top, like the top one and two accounts on iRacing. Like he's just, yeah, it's crazy. And I remember I was at New Smyrna Speed Weeks earlier this year, which feels like forever ago at this point. Um, but he won uh, one night of the World Series in the in the Super Division with iRacing on the hood of his car. And I remember when we saw his setup when iRacing was booming during the pandemic, I thought back to that night. I was like, so you're telling me this guy made his name in iRacing with this bowl of ice and a fan on a laptop from like the mid-2000s and he legit turned this into like super late model success in the truck series, like legitimate, really, really good race car driver. It's crazy. As Rick Allen says, on a computer. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, 
Well, I guess again, if Reed Sorensen's listening somehow, it's it's basically taking a, the car Reed Sorensen's driving and uh, you know winning races with it. Yeah, it's nuts, man. Uh, so you said you, that you've been into sim racing for a long time, and I know I racing and the Coca Cola series specifically have been a big point for you. I had Evan Pasoko on when the iRacing boom was happening. He was a joy to talk to. So that's always been a really, really big part of your life. Is that one of the reasons that you've gotten into NASCAR the way that you have? Or like, was there a different introduction into the sport in general? Um, that probably was my introduction to the sport was was the game. Oh. Um, I, between that and, you know, my dad coming home from work and bringing home the little uh, 164 scale diecast. Love it. Love so, it. Yeah, started that collection young, um, but yeah, no. So I guess growing up, you know, everybody has that dream. Like, I'm gonna go be a race car driver. It's mm -hmm. gonna be great. You know, someday, someday it'll happen. But um, you know, that doesn't know <laughs> that doesn't happen. I, I obviously like I've never been in a race car or, or actually taken any steps to do that. And as I racing has proven, I certainly don't possess those skills. <laughs> Um, so it's really just kind of a, a hobby that's continued to snowball out of control. That's interesting. Cause I haven't really talked to a lot of people specifically on the podcast that their love and admiration for the sport grew out of sim racing. It's, it was more so they got introduced by their family watching it, or they went to a race when they were young and then they discovered the video game aspect of it. Then they discovered iRacing, but you're, I think you're the first person that I've talked to that got into it because of iRacing and diecasts. Um, which is awesome because I'm obviously a big diecast guy myself, but that's really cool. So like the first NASCAR game that you played, I guess, was that NR 2003 or was that, or is it even before that? Uh, it would have been before that. It would have been uh, NASCAR racing two, which came out in 1996. Wow. You're dating yourself. So, I was born that year, Steve. Uh, oh, wow. I see. I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit older than that. I like, it's weird. I, I don't know. I, I was playing that game when I was six or seven. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. That's enough. That's crazy. I, yeah. I've heard of that game, but I'd never played it. I imagine like the graphics are what we would think they would be just super pixelated, but like looking back on it now, like super fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was great. My thing every year would be to watch the, uh, like the Daytona, um, like speed weeks practice and like the, the qualifying races and stuff and, and try to recreate and like paint the cars using the, old school nascar racing to paint shop love it. um which is like super limited but that was always my my thing was the paint schemes i love you know following those and trying to recreate them myself so it, it's always been been an interest so when you were this young in elementary school and middle school i assume that you started watching nascar more and more um when you were a kid like at school were you that one kid that i was that a lot of people were that was like <laughs> the nascar kid and people were like why does this guy watch nascar it's so boring why doesn't he watch basketball or football like did you experience any of that growing up or was it more so like a, a thing where you lived that other people also watched um i'm in pennsylvania so it's not uh you know as big probably as it is other places mm -hmm. so that kind of was me in, in school you so know in the club brother i was yeah, exactly. Uh, so I, I had a, one or two friends that would watch casually, and sometimes we would get to talk about the races from the weekend. Yeah. But uh, mostly, I was just the, you know, the kid who would uh, bring the diecasts into school rather than the <laughs> uh, Pokemon cards and other stuff. Yeah, same. Trust me, I, I, we've all been there. And I wear the NASCAR stuff with the shirts and the hats to school instead of wearing uh, 
formerly known as the Redskins, a Washington football team jersey the next day to school. So I've been there, so I feel you on that. Um, <laughs> people also may know you, Steve, from Random Fantasy Racing. And if you're not familiar with that and you're listening, any time that the race ends um, on, whether I guess this week it'll be late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, just see, just look at a bunch of people on Twitter and automatically their Random Fantasy Racing pick will get tweeted out. Um when did that idea for you like begin? How did that happen? And did you ever think that it would become like such a big thing, kind of like a staple of the industry, which is crazy to say, but every single time a race ends, I see my random fantasy racing pick is Reed Sorensen. <laughs> uh, it's like crazy how that always happens. So Bummer. when did this become a huge thing? Um, it kind of started in another form years ago. Um, there was a there was like a, a game called uh, Pick the Race Winner where you would everybody would go on there, it was like on a message board and choose who they thought was going to win the race each week and then they they would score points and um, basically I was terrible at it um, another friend of mine was terrible at it so we kind of joked how would we do like this the next season after that if we just used a random number generator to generate all the picks sounds fun. Um, yeah, yeah. So we did that. Um, I I don't remember. This might have been like 2013, 2014. Um, so we did that for a season. And then I don't remember exactly how it turned into, you know, let's scale this and turn it into a Twitter game. But um, that's, that's kind of what happened. Mm -hmm. And just year after year, um, you know, people would be interested in it and, and keep signing up for it and, and playing and it's kind of become an exercise for me as far as um, kind of keeping my programming, like computer programming skills sharp. Um, because I, you know, I built the site and all the stuff that, you know, is behind the scenes for it. And a lot of that was just a kind of a learning experience, you know, developing new skills that way. So um, half of it was, you know, let's just do this fun, crazy thing on Twitter. And the other half was, you know, how can I, improve my my programming skills um so it's kind of cool to see um so many people playing now we probably get like a thousand or so people playing every week Nuts. uh you know just hitting the big button and getting a random <laughs> pick for the race and then yelling at me when it's reed Sorensen. <laughs> but it's uh it, it's it's cool and and i enjoy doing it you mentioned being a web developer and i also with my instagram stalking i also did a linkedin dive <laughs> So I saw that you worked um, as a web developer among some other roles at a different company before you came to NASCAR. Hi, Paisley. Good to see you again. Um, so um, that goes back to another thing I wanted to touch on. Like, again, people may know you, but they may not know the story behind you. And maybe it's naive on my part, but whenever I see somebody that works in like computer programming or engineering or like web development, I just automatically assume, and most of the time, rightly so, that they are infinitely smarter than me and most people that I will come across in my life. So I assume that you have like brains like no other because you've been doing computer programming and web development and you did that for a long, long time. And even these games that you developed with the random fantasy racing, and I'll get to a plethora of them in a minute because I played them all this morning. It was so fun. Um, like how did that skill develop for you? And I guess that seemed to be a passion of yours for a while. It still is. Yeah. I hate to uh, let you down. You know, you said a lot of those people are really smart and, and have a lot of skills, but um, no, that was, um, 
my I guess my career uh, has always been centered around uh, web design and web development. I started building websites, you know, in 2000, like just as a wow. uh, as a kid in school, just just playing around with stuff. So I I was able, you know, really, you know, I'd spend all my time after school. Uh, you know, on the computer building websites. It's just always something that interested me. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to turn that into, um, you know, into a career, which has been, which has been nice. And I've been really fortunate to to have that. And, uh, you know, started out really young, just as a, a front end, um, you know, designer slash developer. So basically the, the stuff you interact with the front end of, of the website. Uh, HTML, that, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, over time that grew into uh, a different role. I worked at a, a small uh, web agency uh, for 10 or 11 years. Um, but anyway, as my career progressed, I went from the development side to uh, user experience side. Um, so as, you know, mobile devices, iPhones kind of came onto the scene in like the late 2000s decade like early 2010s um there kind of became a need at the agency to um you know build out this this practice of you know user experience and and kind of creating things more more purposefully so mm -hmm. i kind of pivoted my you know my 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 path that way um and then learned all about uh, user experience and did that for uh for many years for a lot of uh, different clients at, at that agency um so it's just always been something that's kind of, I don't know, just felt natural to me. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always enjoyed it. And it's really cool to be able to keep um, keep up with those things with trading paints and random fantasy racing and, um, you know, all this other stuff. So uh, it's just, you know, I guess that's that's what I call my background as far as the skills I do have go. Well, it's cool that you were able to turn those skills and something that you really enjoyed doing from a young age into a career. So, and there's not a lot of people that can say that. So congrats to you. Cause, cause that's really cool. And you talked about the user experience, Steve, you give the user one hell of an experience. Um, cause as I said this morning, I went on your website and I perused all these different games, um, that you have developed and some of them are just unreal. So if you want to play them, go to steveluvendercom slash projects.html. Um, some of them, I'm just going to read through some of them. There's Start and Park, Ricky vs. Trevor, Actions Detrimental, which is Cards Against Humanity, but NASCAR cards. And that was just unbelievable to play by myself this morning. Um, an All-Star Race Format Generator, Spencer Gallagher Name Generator, NASCAR Rumor Mill Generator, which actually, Steve, um, I posted one of them in our Front Stretch Slack today because this must have been made when um, my boss, Tom Bowles, was at the center of a Kevin Harvick thing that went on. And every single person, like there was Jayski <laughs> that was in there, but there was every single person that was named. There was no Bob Pockers, no Jenna Fryer, no Jeff Gluck. It was always Tom Bowles. Let, let me pull up the one that I posted earlier today because it was so oh, funny. Oh, man. That is, yeah, that, is, that was, one's a little outdated. It was uh, Tom Bowles reported that Dylan Lupton is supposed to be going to Sprint Cup. 
And then there was another one that was that, according that's to Tom like the Bowles. That's like the most 2015 thing you can uh, say right there. According to Tom Bowles, Drew Herring is moving back home in 2018. <laughs> and somebody wrote, I don't know what this means. Please explain. <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> stupid stuff like this. That's so funny. Denny Hamlin name generator, NASCAR fan complaint generator, NASCAR Halloween costume generator. You know what I got for that one? I got, I think it was like an elderly Cole Witt. So I'm going to be uh, doing that for Halloween coming up here in Not October. Bad. So, like, wh- where do these ideas come from? Is is it literally just like, this sounds random and funny, let me make it? Or is there, like, any other approval process, or is it just your creative mind going nuts? Um, a lot of the things I don't remember, they're, like, they're just random things that come up. Um, you know, I've done a lot of the, the generators and games um, with, with uh, NASCAR.com, so... Mm-hmm. I get to work around uh, guys like uh, NASCAR Chasm who are hilarious. So he, he kind of keeps a lot of fresh ideas coming too. So we, we have a lot of cool, um, you know, every now and then we'll, we'll, we'll make a NASCAR.com generator um, and do stuff with that. So it's hard to say each one has a different story. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. They're, they're just, they're just fun. And like I said, it's to, just provide a little bit of fun and, and to keep my skills sharp a little bit. Not, not that I'm very good, exceptionally, uh, you know, good at, at, at what I do, but um, it, it's just fun. Stop selling yourself short. You're exceptionally good at what you do. And <laughs> to to say how good you are at what you do, here's a Cole Pern insult for you. I guess Joey Logano oh, isn't good enough for his gutless butterball dick. Let's get another Cole Whoa. Pern insult generator. I guess Chris Busher doesn't know how to use his shitty poutine brake pedal. One more. I guess Joey Logano has Ugh. no use for his lame horse gas pedal. All right, I'm done. But this is I, I need well, I need that, to understand. that was that was one of the weaker one of the weaker generators, I think. It was it just took the, the Cole Pern, Joey Logano, the famous you know, the famous tweet and uh-huh. and adapted it with similar words. Um so yeah, each one just has a weird story and i just need to understand though this morning that gave me a good like hour and a half two hours of just continuous (laughs) laughing to myself and my girlfriend's like what are you doing i'm just like you wouldn't get it it's too hard to explain but i just need you to understand that so if i'll put the link in in the in the description too so if people want to play along you can thank steve for giving you the laughs it was just such a fun morning so and i have you to thank for that Wow, I'm glad to uh, play a part in, in your in your day. <laughs> you also, I believe, have a ridiculous Rolodex of embarrassing driver pictures that just lives on your computer. Am I right on that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say embarrassing pictures. That that makes me sound like I'm blackmailing okay, people. Fair. That, that does sound a bit weird. You have a lot of driver pictures that live on your computer that you can use. Yes, it Still is literally called weird. the folder. The, it does sound really weird. The folder, <laughs> the folder on my computer is called Cool NASCAR Pictures, and that's exactly what it is. So, woo NASCAR. When I, woo NASCAR. That's literally in the folder. Uh huh. I doubt. Um, just, just, just little fun moments like that that come up. Either you know, a driver tweets something, or there's a, you know, a, a funny video clip that happens during a broadcast. You know, I. For years, I would always capture those things and, you know, use it or, or send it to somebody, but then it would kind of get lost. So, you know, I decided to start formally uh, saving it a couple of years ago, and I'm very glad I did that because there's, there's a lot of uh, fun stuff in there. How many things are in that folder? I'm curious to know. Um, I couldn't tell you. There it's got to are... be in, like, the thousands of attachments, right? 
probably something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I did, um, manage to, uh, get NASCAR Kazan to, to, uh, contribute. So All that's, right. uh, that's cool. Cause he's got quite the archive with, of things that are even crazier than, than what I've been, uh, collecting over the years. He, he's like a digital hoarder. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I definitely need to have him on soon so we can, we can compare, notes here in terms of the meme connoisseurs but another question that i have is who do you think is like the most like i mean i don't want to say most memeable driver because it's kind of like a loose term but you know you know twitter better than almost anybody that i know personally and like there's a lot of things that go on there that can just go viral at at, at a click or that if somebody tweets something out you know a driver will pick it up or somebody will pick it up who is who is the one driver that you may have like more in that folder than anybody else? Or I guess you could say like is the most memeable because Matty D comes to mind just because he's very open on social, and Clint Boyer also comes to mind because he's Clint. So like, do you have any in mind that are like, wow, I can definitely have a lot of content with this one? Um, yeah, I think Clint Boyer is a really great example of that. Um, I don't use very often the Twitter feature where you can get a notification whenever someone tweets, but <laughs> Clint Boyer is one of those people that I have that turned on because well you never done. know what you're going to get with him. Well done. Um, I, uh, the only thing I really like to uh, do is, um, you know, when uh, the NASCAR on Fox has their, uh, their radioactive segment, um, I do, I, I like to screen cap those are my favorite. Uh, the particularly notable, uh, <laughs> you know, clips on there and, and most of those tend to be uh clint Poyer. um <laughs> i guess uh surprisingly i don't know you probably wouldn't have ex expected it but uh brad keselowski has a lot too hmm. just of him finding himself in 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 fun situations <laughs> uh he tweeted one this week of him you know about to hit a a giant gong in the richmond raceway sales office um so just you know that's the kind of stuff you, you put away and file it away for later and you never know when you'll end up using it. Um, I got, you know, this, we got this big collection of uh, Kyle Busch doing, doing different stuff. <laughs> There's actually a, uh, a photo gallery we have on NASCAR.com called um, Kyle Busch is the most gifable driver. And, you know, there's 18 reasons why with 18 different uh, Kyle Busch gifts, so just different, different activities and things he's been a part of. So um, it, it's, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of drivers who give us some fun fodder i'm gonna take a hard left turn here going back to the instagram stalking how the hell did you find the world's largest whoopie pie and did you eat some of it Ooh, yeah so <sighs> yeah that that's just some of the fine pennsylvania culture we have out here <laughs> we have uh actually it, i don't know if they'll be doing it this year with the pandemic but every september uh in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, there is the Whoopie Pie Festival, mm. uh, where it's basically exactly what it sounds like, just a giant <laughs> um, festival where lots of just different events and, and anything you can think of involving Whoopie Pies. There's like a, uh, like a catapult sort of thing where you can put a Whoopie Pie into a catapult and see how far you can throw it. Count like me Shoot in. it at targets. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, one of the attractions was the, was the world's largest whoopie pie. How big was um, it? Do you remember? It was, you know, I don't remember the exact size, but I, I mean, it was, 
if I recall correctly, it was like the size of a swimming pool. Like it was oh massive. Um, I did not eat it. It was just a, an outside like display where there's flies and bugs and things crawling on it. It's a I tourist think it attraction about if I've the, ever uh, heard of one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we did, you know, come home from that day with uh, about $70 worth of various flavors of uh, whoopie pies. As you should uh, that have. That sat in the freezer for, yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, an experience I will never forget. Whoopie pies are honestly a pretty underrated dessert because you got your mix of like cake that can also double as kind of a cookie as a sandwich and then you got your cream in the middle i mean it kind of hits like all the different types besides ice cream i guess kind of hits all the different types of dessert that anybody could really want it's very versatile underrated dessert i feel it is and the secret uh with those is uh freeze them i mean they are delicious frozen they are it's, it's almost like uh like an ice cream sandwich that way. So it's not hard to little, eat when it's frozen. Little pro tip: if there's, um, you know, it's that's part of the uh, that that's that's part of the thing. But yeah, that's right. It's still like it, it's it's edible. You know, what I mean, it's not like other stuff frozen. It, it's good. You got to try. Okay. Well, there's there's a I local. Like the, uh, Go ahead. I feel like our conversation was really uh, focused on on food quite a bit today. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's it. what we do. Uh, everybody's <laughs> yeah. getting the quarantine 15. So that it has to be focused on food. There's a local, um, Absolutely. there's a local like farm market near here where I'm staying in Delaware and they have whoopie pies there. So I'll get one or two, maybe different flavors. I'll freeze them and I'll report back my findings. Please do. And, Good. uh, if you can find, you know, different fillings inside, there's, there's a lot of different, uh, options. But you got to keep your eyes out and look around for that. I will. Um, I actually hit up our mutual friend, Dalen Barr, former guest of the podcast. And I said, Hey, I'm having Steve on. Um, I haven't talked to him extensively, but I know you're pretty close to them. What should I ask him? So that was a very broad question and you're laughing. So I have, I have a quick, I have some quick hitters for you. I hear that you make candles. Are these like bed, bath and beyond quality or like, are these just homemade? How do you start making candles? So this is a very recent new hobby. Okay. Uh, I have managed to, uh, I've managed to end up always blending my work and my hobbies. So <laughs> I decided that I needed something that, you know, is strictly a hobby. I'm not going to uh, turn candle making into, into a, a, a job or something never like that. Never say never. So, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, Etsy or something will, uh, you know, <laughs> take interest in my, in my candles, but, um, so I started making, there's just like a soy candle making kit from Amazon um, where, you know, it is very simple. I didn't realize that the art of candle making is, uh, you know, at least as far as I've gone into it, it's it's easier to get started than you think. And it sounds like I'm trying to sell you on like some candle making course, but that's <laughs> not the case. Uh, no, it's... Um, it's kind of cool. It's, it's relaxing. You just melt the candle wax, put the, the wick in, add some scents and colors and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, talking about it now out loud just sounds ridiculous. It but sounds satisfying uh, is what it is. It really is. Um, I, I don't know why or how that became a thing, but now I, uh, don't question it. Making candles. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Another Very question. Relaxing. Um, how many internet domains do you own and how many have you owned at one time in your life? Right now, I probably own like 30, and they're mostly just different projects. Um, like you mentioned, I don't remember if you mentioned actually, like uh, 
I've lost my train of thought, but I, I have like 30 of them now of just different projects. But at one time I did own about 200 of them. Whoa. Um, I used to, yeah, that's, that's a lot of dot Why? but I, I, I would uh, buy and sell them. So, got it. um, I would uh, register ones that I thought seemed like they could be something that someone would be interested in. Can I have and, some examples. Um, you know, it's okay it's if been, I can't. Yeah, no, it's been over ten years uh, since I've done that. Um, but the, the thing we would look for back in early internet times, um, you go for the like the short, the, the shorter the better, basically. Mm-hmm. So there were like three letter dot com and dot org and dot net stuff like that that uh, you know organizations might be interested in buying because it matches their yeah. acronym or something like that. So. Um, you know, had a had a few of those and sold those, make a little bit of money as a teenager. So that was always uh, kind of a thing I did for for a while, and until I realized that you know this is uh it's kind of it's kind of weird. <laughs> like I don't know, just kind of stopped doing that. Some people uh, buy and sell houses. Some people buy and sell domains. That's it. <laughs> you need your own reality show, Steve. You're an interesting cat. Another question. Why are you team waffles when pancakes and French toast are clearly superior? And that was an exact quote, by the way, from Dalen. Ooh, wow. Well, uh, I did not want to drag French toast into this because I do find French toast absolutely delicious. Um, no, I, I, just a personal preference, I guess. I think I like the nice uh, plaid. Someone someone described pancake or waffles as plaid pancakes, and I really like that. You know, I, I love that actually. Refer plaid to ridged that pancakes. way now. Yeah, and they have little you know holes for yeah. holding the syrup in. Exactly. They're just uh, I, I think they're designed better f- from a a concept standpoint. Are you a Waffle House guy? <sighs> I'm gonna probably get some hate for this, but I've never uh, never experienced. Steve, oh, they don't have Steve. them up here. They don't have them near me either. But whenever I'm in the South at a race <laughs> or literally anywhere, I make it a point to go. And I've actually never had Waffle House drunk either. I only have it sober, and that makes people think that I'm a narc. But no, I just love Waffle House. <laughs> Fair enough. That's it's definitely on my on my list of things to do at some point. Yes, I please. will. I will make sure that happens. If we're ever at the track together for a weekend, and there's a Waffle House nearby, you have my word. Waffle House on me because I know that things are really expensive, so my unemployment can pay for it. Trust me. Um, I'm in. Last question, and it's not really a question. Dalen just told me to say Hut Strickland. Hut. That's it? That's it. Okay. He'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, it's fine. I lied. One more. Um, He asked me to ask you who is your big three. Um. You know, I don't know what the big three is. That's why I'm Well, actually, today, uh, you actually said that the big three could be Ryan Truex, Travis Pastrana, and Connor Daly at Nice Motorsports. So is that your big three? Uh, You know, it changes from day to day. So I would say that the on this day, that is is the big three until it is unseated by a new big three. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, congratulations to to the three of those fine race drivers. Well, some days your big three are pancakes, waffles, and French toast. Some days they're Ooh. Travis Pastrana, Connor Daly, and Ryan Truex. And then some days they're like, I don't know, your three dogs or your three cats. We can go with that. Wow, I guess I never realized that the just the amount of three 
things are, are a theme in it's my, a magic number. my daily life. Yeah, I guess so. Three for Dale. Man, three for Dale. Well, Steve, this has been fun. I'm glad that we were able to talk some food. We were able to talk some memes. We uh, upped NASCAR Chasm's ego as if he needed it anymore. Um, and we learned about the art of candle making. So this has been a very informative, fun chat for me. I hope you enjoyed it. I did, and I, and I hope that's where the uh, the chat took you, uh, you know, on, on the uh, the direction you wanted to go and, <laughs> and take away from it. Talk about chowders and and French toast and candles, but I uh, definitely appreciate hanging out and, and thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely, man. Hopefully we'll see you at the racetrack soon. I don't know when and where, but we will do it eventually. I, I hope that's true. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that talk with Steve and hope you maybe try some frozen whoopie pies because I think I'm going to run over to this market near me in Delaware and try some myself. Let's get into the preview for Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The round of 12 opener in the NASCAR playoffs. Kevin Harvick's on the pole. No reason to think that he's not going to be up front, as well as the usual suspects. You know, Joey Logano won earlier there this year. Kyle Busch, even though it's his home track, and he says that he doesn't care because he's not going to be eliminated this round. He's going to be running up front. Brad Keselowski, same thing. I was hesitant to put Denny Hamlin on that short list because he didn't have a great first round, but he did have the speed. The results weren't really there because Darlington, he got caught in a pit cycle. Richmond, he got caught speeding on pit road in Bristol. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he still had like an okay round. It just wasn't up to snuff, and he tweeted after. He was like, look, I don't know if I believe in luck, but I could use some, and I'm ready to move on. But as long as he has that ridiculous bank of playoff points, he will be just fine. Other storylines that I'm watching, what about Kurt Busch, Alex Bowman, Austin Dillon? Those are three guys that have been flying a little bit under the radar as of late. Austin Dillon, not so much just because he's been in the limelight performing or outperforming his equipment and everybody's expectations of him in the first round. But what about the one of Kurt, the 88 of Bowman? Like, Are they going to be able to put together top fives and top ten finishes for three straight races, Vegas, Talladega, and the Roval? If they can do that, they're going to advance. And I actually have Kurt Busch advancing to the round of eight. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. And this is one of three more mile-and-a-half tracks remaining on the schedule. You got this, we got Kansas, and then we got Texas. And it's going to be hot, hot, hot out in Las Vegas. It's the desert. It's the end of the summer, beginning of fall, probably up towards the triple digits. So if you're going to be out there, unfortunately, no fans will be in, in attendance, but if you're a driver, a crew member, an official listening, please stay hydrated, stay safe, do your thing. Lug nuts of the week! Instead of cueing that funky music, White Boy, first, we're going to actually add something new. That's right, everybody. Michael Jordan has joined forces with Denny Hamlin to form a Cup Series race team for 2021 and beyond. Bubba Wallace, of course, is their driver. Wow. Uh, that's all I really got to say. We, we heard some rumors about this going around for the last month and a half or so, but now it has finally come to fruition. It's unbelievable that this is happening. We, we still don't have a name for the team. We still don't have a number for the team. There's no manufacturer that's been announced as of yet, but all signs point to them being a Toyota-backed organization and partnering with Joe Gibbs Racing, having a technical alliance. They, they purchased the Germain Racing Charter, as Bob Germain announced that he was going to be exiting the sport at season's end. Um, 
it's just crazy. It, it's just wild that it's actually happening. I feel like it has to be the number 23, right? I mean, nobody's using that. NASCAR, they're obviously going to try to you know, move heaven and earth to make this team successful, as right or wrong as you think that may be. Air Jordan Racing, uh, Jordan Motorsports, I, I don't know. Like, it's going to be so fun to just see this all come together, though. And I, I talked about a lot on the Grid Challenge, and I'll tweet that out later on in the week once my boy Andrew Curlin gets that edited and posted for my thoughts. But this has the potential to transcend NASCAR in the sports landscape. This is Michael freaking Jordan. Like, no disrespect to Troy Aikman or Dan Marino or Randy Moss or any of the other high-profile athletes that have entered team ownership in NASCAR. But Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan. Um, I said it on the Grid Challenge, like, I feel like there's a short list of people that, that have worldwide recognition and are renowned worldwide from America. It's like Michael Jordan and Oprah. You know what I mean? And I don't think Oprah's starting a race team anytime soon. This is huge. This is probably one of, if not the biggest things to happen off track, translating into something that's going to happen on track that NASCAR has had happen to them in the last 10, 15 years or so. It has the potential to be huge. And I know Ryan McGee always says that it's weird when people in the NASCAR industry say, this is great for the sport because you don't really hear people saying in football or basketball, this is great for the game. But this is one of those times where this is unbelievably great for the sport. The attention that it's already cast upon NASCAR is ridiculous. I mean, I have friends that are texting me that know that I love NASCAR and I do it as my career, but they could care less. And they're texting me like, this is amazing. I'm going to watch. Maybe I'll go to a race in Miami because that's where I live. Or maybe I'll go in Chicago if there's a race next year. Like, this is garnering a lot of interest. And that's what they want to do. But above all else, you know Michael Jordan wants to win. They're not going to win next year. They might not win the year after that. But this is going to be something that it seems like they're in for the long haul. So, Man, it, it's, it's beyond exciting. And um, on a personal note, like if I get the chance to interview MJ or meet him, that's just going to be a bucket list item checked off for me. There's also just so much like Jordan merch crossover potential. It, it's otherworldly. Um, it, and I'm very excited for it to happen on a selfish level in the sport that I cover. Um, and also check out the Grid Challenge with me and Andrew Curlin. We talked about that a little bit more at length. And the Front Stretch wrap up with Dustin Albino um, on the Front Stretch website. The Athletic is also reporting that Texas Motor Speedway will lose a race next year to the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, CODA. But they also are reporting that the All-Star Race will be moved to Texas, so we will see about that. Another silly season nugget that dropped, Ross Chastain has been named the full-time driver of the 42 for Chip Ganassi Racing, so that is a seat that is now filled. Long time coming for him. Of course, he, he, he had that plan to run full Xfinity with DC Solar and Chip Ganassi Racing. Then tax fraud happened and, you know, people went to jail. But, hey, good things happen to good people. And Ross Chastain's a good guy. Happy for him that he's getting this opportunity. I mentioned no fans at Las Vegas this weekend, but there will be a limited number of fans for Kansas in the next round. So if you want to get your tickets and you live out there, please get on that on the Kansas Speedway website. Travis Pastrana and Connor Daly. Yeah, that Connor Daly, the IndyCar driver. They're going to race for Nice Motorsports this weekend. And Trevor Bain, who has been racing for them in the past couple weeks, he finished third at Bristol, but he was disqualified for failing post-race heights 
also mentioned to us in the post-race Zoom before we knew about that DQ that he's liking this. He's planning to finish out the year for Nice and maybe looking at something next year and beyond on a, on a possibly full-time basis because specifically the truck races are the length is really good with his health issues that he has going on with MS. So all the best to Trevor. Always a great guy. And Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowman had their pit crews swapped prior to the Bristol race. I actually didn't hear about that. Apparently it was due to an injury, and now that Bowman is through to the next round and he's competing in the playoffs, all the resources within that organization are going to be sent his way as well as Chase Elliott's. Whew, that was busy. I know. That'll wrap things up for Episode 74 the Randy Super Shula Joy edition of Victory Lane 2.0. Please do me a favor. If you like what you heard, if you like Michael Jordan, if you like Steve Luvender, please leave a rating and a review to this show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Usually wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll hopefully rectify that issue for you. Next week, episode 75, we got a twofer well, a two-parter, and you're going to hear part one of that two-parter. I'm not going to reveal who it is, but I will say the episode has been taped, it has been edited, it has been cleared and ready for takeoff, as well as the episode following, which is part two, and the episode after that. So we're going to have a lot of stuff going on here in Victory Lane. And if you like what you heard, tell your friends. We're trying to get the word out, trying to spread the word here in Victory Lane. Enjoy the racing in Vegas this weekend. Stay safe. Stay inside, keep washing those hands, and I'll catch y'all on the flip side.